Welcome to the Agile Career Podcast, where we will take you on the journey from employed for life to employable for life. We'll give you the tips, insights, and strategies to help you build the transferable skills that you'll need. So let's get started. Please welcome your host, Gunter Richter. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode three coming to you from a sunny Hampshire in the United Kingdom. Uh, it's a lovely day out today. Uh, I hope you're all staying safe and um, yeah, ready for a fantastic episode. As I said in episode two, I am featuring my first guest in episode three. And uh, this episode is all about resilience and building resilience. Now, why is re resilience important? Well, I think it's a key strength that we need to build I guess I don't think you can just learn resilience you can't go on a course for it you know you can't read a book and, and all of a sudden you'll know how to be resilient I think it comes from growing a mindset going through some challenges and we'll see and hear from David when he speaks uh, in the in the interview in depth about the sorts of challenges he went through and how he worked through these through a number of co coping mechanisms uh, and a number of approaches uh, approaches he managed to build uh, resilience and I guess he might not have known it at the time but that's exactly what he was doing so unfortunately it's one of those difficult things to learn but I think that certainly it's well worth being uh, at, at the top of your mind thinking about a skill it is a skill that you need to develop and this is going to serve you well in any sphere of your life it could be in any career that you undertake it could be in entrepreneurship if you're starting your own business and especially in personal situations it, it, there's some especially challenging things that we're all going through at the moment uh, with, with COVID-19 and I think being resilient is a fantastic skill and mindset to have to help guide us and help get us through some of these these tough times. So how do we do this? Well I'm going to lean very much on, on David Beanie and we're about to jump to the interview so I won't uh, uh, go on and on. I'll cut over right now to the interview and uh, yeah enjoy it. Great. Well, here we go. Um, I'm very happy to welcome my first guest to the Agile Career Podcast, uh, David Beanie. David, welcome to the podcast. I've really been looking forward to chatting to you. Gunter, thank you very much for the opportunity to uh, uh, speak to you on this podcast this afternoon. It's, it's a privilege for me to be here. Thank you very much. Super. And I know, I mean, we had a bit of a chat before we, we actually started the formal podcast, but what I wanted to share with the audience was that I've had the uh, opportunity. I've been very lucky to hear you speak before. And uh, I think for me, it was very rewarding. I came away with a lot of, of learnings. I understood uh, some of the challenges you, know, you, you experienced in, in terms of making a big career change. And, and I guess some of the challenges that prompted that career change. So um, I wanted to share a little bit of those insights and learnings with, with the audience today. So, um, yeah, hence looking, uh, really looking forward to it. Um, I mean, do you want to kick off with a bit of background, perhaps describe, you know, kind of where you came from uh, in terms of your career and the mm. sorts of things you'd envisaged yourself doing and kind of where you've ended up today? Okay, Gunter. Um, yeah, I spent over 35 years working in media, primarily magazines and newspapers, not as a journalist, but working on the commercial side. And I'll be honest, I had a real passion for regional press. And I thought I'd work my entire career uh, in, in, in regional newspapers. But what nobody knew was that I was hiding a, a secret, a, a dark secret. And on the 16th of May 2016, I decided to out myself about poor mental health. And um, it's changed my life. Nobody in my world knew that I was battling on a daily basis with panic attacks and anxiety. 
not my ex-wife for 28 years, not my mates down the pub. Certainly nobody I worked with had any idea whatsoever um, what I was actually going through. So as I say, in May 2016, I outed myself and it's changed my life. I, for the last three years, have been um, very lucky to work with many large organisations, um, sharing my story, um, sharing how easy it was to hide poor mental health, sharing how, um, in many ways, of course, it held me back and I never fulfilled my true potential in media. Equally, I've surprised people because it surprised me as well. It actually helped my career as well because I didn't realise that some of the coping mechanisms I used to to get out of panicky and anxious situations made me actually better and more engaging at my job. I equally share with people these days, um, until three years ago, I couldn't have even done a podcast like this without having a panic attack because I spent, I went to extraordinary lengths to avoid situations like this. But I now do one, two, three of these sort of things a day. So I'm happy to share if you want at some stage today how I think I avoid my panic attacks. But my change of career wasn't planned. It's, it's as if I um, it's as if I've spent all my life planning for what I do now, because I wear three different hats these days. Yes, I've got a mental health story to share, which um, I think helps other people understand more about mental health and it encourages some people to be more open themselves. I did decide to train as a mental health counsellor about 12 years ago. I decided I, I wanted a different skill at a, the latter end of my career and I wasn't sure what I quite wanted to do, but I, I found the whole subject of counselling quite interesting. So I chose to do that in my own time. But equally, I spent a lot of my career trying to create cultures where people flourished. And I wasn't a traditional sales director who focused on the numbers. I've always been very interested in the relationship between how you treat people and then how they respond to that in any workplace environment. So I guess I'm bringing all of those three things together. If you'd have spoken to me on a podcast two years ago and said, David, what do you do these days? I would have said to you, I advise people on mental health in the workplace. But if you ask me today what I do, I try and create kinder cultures in your workplace uh, of trust that really enables people to flourish. And in some ways, that's what I was doing early in my career. But these days I've added in the mental health story and I've added in the, uh, the credibility of being a mental health counsellor. So it has been a massive career change. But on the other hand, it's still all about tr really trying to get, get the very best out of people and creating great cultures in the workplace. And I, I think I mean, oh, we got a bit of an echo here. Uh, sorry, I don't know what happened there. Um, I think, I mean, that really resonates because, and to steal a bit of thunder, I guess, from Simon Sinek, you know, who talks about the the start with why, you at first described the sort of the, sort of the how and the what you were doing, um, but mm. you've kind of laid on now saying, okay, well, this is the why I'm doing it. You know, I've, I've found, uh, I guess, a deeper purpose in terms of, of the things I'm doing now. And um, that, you know, that really stands out. That, that's a great word to use purpose because um, a real light bulb light bulb moment in my life came about 12 years ago. I was involved in um, some training for some people who were being made redundant and we brought in an external company to to help people on their journey uh, through redundancy and starting hopefully exciting new roles elsewhere and they did a session about what's your purpose in life and although I was helping facilitate the, the session I was really interested in this, so I decided to participate myself. So I joined a group of people, and we were all asked to um, sit and discuss 
what we thought our purpose was in life. And the group I was with, they all knew me. And they said, David, can we start with you because you're really easy? I said, what do you mean I'm easy? And they said, well, your purpose is really clear. You like to make people feel better about themselves. And I'd never really thought through before what my purpose is. And ironically, when I look back at my career, whatever job I've had, I have tried to help people to feel better about themselves. Um, but by working in media, I couldn't fulfill purpose all of the time. But with what I'm doing now, by working with organizations, by being a mental health counselor, um, I would all, I'm, I'm very privileged that almost 100% of my time is fulfilling purpose. It's very cathartic. So purpose for me is a really important word because I've tried to fulfill purpose throughout my life. But the first 36 years of my career, I wasn't quite aware why I was doing what I was doing. But now I'm very clear on that. And I mean, that's a huge shift. I guess if, if you go back to, uh, I guess, before you made this career transition and you started thinking about uh, if you did you consciously think about purpose or did you kind of attach yourself to your job description? Was that how you described who you were or what you did? In my media career, I was um, probably considered a bit of a maverick because I was too much into my people. My critics would have said, um, David's a bit too fluffy. He doesn't, he lacks that cutting edge. He's not focused enough on the numbers. But the people who were closer seeing what I did day to day, and if I was given sufficient time, they would think I was, you know, extremely good at my job and got the very best out of people. Again, on hindsight, when I look back at my career, um, where I tended to be used by, by, by employers, um, if they had a region or a department where morale was very low, staff churn was very high and the place was falling apart, um, they would bring me in uh, because I think they recognised that what I was very good at was with my people. Um, however, if I got a new sales director or a new managing director who came in who was a very high red task-focused manager who liked to bang the table and scream at people, he would think that my style wouldn't produce quick enough results. So he would, he would um, possibly or she would think, you're not the right person for me, David Beanie. So um, it's interesting looking back um, how some people thought I was great and some people thought I wasn't so good. And uh, I mean, that's an important thing. I think an important lesson to know that, you know, you can still have, I guess, a commercial hat on and you can still be very driven by commercial outcomes in an organization. But, you mm -hmm. know, you don't need to be. Uh, an unlikable person or an unpleasant person to be able to achieve those outcomes, especially if you're in a leadership role and you need to bring those people along on the journey with you. Um, and, yeah. uh, so, and, and looking at those sorts of skills that you applied in the commercial workplace, you know, it, it becomes very obvious that those were transferable skills that you were building, whether it was a conscious effort or not, because you've brought those forward and, you know, they serve you mm -hmm. very well in the type of work you do now and that they I think they're core to what you do now. The, the irony is because of this coronavirus, many people are working from home for the first time. And there's many senior managers absolutely panicking because they can't see their staff on a day-to-day -day basis. So a lot of the work I'm doing at the moment is about advising senior leaders about how to stay emotionally connected with their people. Because um, what they're struggling to understand, some of them, is that the companies who are being successful during times like now are where they create the impression with their employees that the priority of the business is the employee's well-being and not the performance of the business. They struggle to get their head around that. 
thinking, well, surely we've got to focus on the needs of the business without realizing the way to get Gunter to work the hardest possible for me at the moment is to ring him up every day and say, forget about work. How are you? How's the family? You're then more likely to get off the phone and work hard for me because I didn't just talk to you about work, 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 work. But some people struggle with that. Um, it's um, this is all about engaging people. Um, I got I was lucky enough Gunter, to get my first recognition a couple of years ago for the work I do now. And it wasn't about mental health, it was about employee engagement. Um, so where I've had success, fortunately, in the last few years is um, helping organisations to realise that your well-being strategy is not a fluffy subject. It's not HR's latest thing to feel we better do something about mental health. It's the one of the key ways an organisation can improve performance of the overall company. Yeah, no, that, that that's a good point because I think we we become more conscious of those sorts of of, of aspects of of our jobs and our, our daily lives when we place in a situation like COVID nineteen. And I'm glad you brought that up because uh, I know you, you did say at the beginning of the show you hadn't been well. You you had in fact uh, been been pretty ill. So you know, again, I'm very appreciative of you coming on here today and also. If you if you do need to cough a bit, just you know, please do. <laughs> so I totally understand that you haven't been well. <laughs> Thank but, you. Um, I think it's it's it certainly prompted me to start thinking about you know, yes, I, I I'm lucky that I can do my job remotely in many aspects, but what are the sorts of skills I, I need to bring along to make those those changes? You know, mm-hmm. sometimes it's uh, it's not as easy to do things remotely as it is uh, on a face to face basis. And then secondly, adding in that human element to to what we're all going through, yes. You know, the, the the sort of current climate is very a, a big threat to organizations in terms of their performance and longevity. But ultimately, you know, removing that and thinking about the sort of human experience that we're all going through, we're all going through the same thing at, at this moment. You know, some of us might um, not have contracted the virus, some of us might have, but there's still that constant worry about your health, thinking about your family, thinking about your friends, certainly thinking about your job and you know, even if we, um, you know, look forward and, and think, well, how how do we exit out of this? How do we make our way into the future? What does the future look like? Because certainly this has changed the way the, the way we're going to do things and the way we're going to work. And I think if if there is the one thing that I can take away from it, it's that 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 element of care because I am seeing people caring more for others. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, it's a bit sad that it takes things like this to to surface that. Uh, but I think that's one thing we can take with us. It's one thing we learn. It's a fantastic thing to learn. I think there'll be a shift to more compassionate leadership. Uh, we struggled, you know, traditionally in the boardroom, uh, people talk a tough game. Um, you know, I, I use these colours and the, the boardrooms are generally full of high reds that are very, their priority is the task uh, or, or high blues where their priority is very much accuracy and they're often the accountants. But there's been a lack of people in the boardroom whose priority is, is people. But I think we're going to see that skill coming very much more to the fore. Many, many years ago, Gunter, um, I was listening to a, a very successful Japanese CEO, and he was asked to share with the room um, a golden nugget of what, what is, if you were going to give us one piece of advice today to run an enormously successful business, what would it be? And I always remember he said, um, I have eight direct reports. I try and speak to all of them at least every other day, but only half of those conversations might be about work. And he sat down. And a lot of people in the room that day, it was a very academic environment. 
I could sense that they were very disappointed with his response, thinking, is that it? Where another percentage of people in the room thought, amazing, absolutely brilliant, that, you know, what, what he shared with us today is those human moments, those conversations that aren't about work, is actually what, what, what creates a, a brilliant business for him. And as I say, that was many, many years ago. Um, and that, that was a man very much ahead of his time. Yeah, I think, uh, as you say, many years ago, that probably would have been ahead of his time and in contrast to to the sort of leadership style of many of many leaders. So, uh, you know, that that's positive, uh, I think, in terms of uh, the more the more leaders we have that that are, are, are building their skills and not only leaders, just think about everyone in the day to day careers, thinking about that that one to one, that relationship building and how important it is. And it's not always idle chit chat around the, the, the kettle. Or the coffee area, uh, I think it's getting to to that level of being genuinely interested and you know concerned about people's well-being. So uh, I well, think that's the skills we need to work on. I think something that I've noticed as well recently is um, now we're all working from home. We've often got sort of partners or children or or you know family members around who, as private as we try to make this, sometimes can pick up on the tone of conversations, and we all know that. Um, particularly our key partners, can really influence our thinking in life. And if you were being spoken to not very respectfully by somebody in your workplace, your partner's liable to pick up on that and later in the day say to you, are you okay? Because someone gave you a real lack of respect earlier today. But equally, when they hear laughing, when they hear you having fun with your colleagues at work, when they hear bosses saying to you, you know, Gonti, you've worked really hard the last couple of hours, you know, go, go and take yourself a nice break, get yourself a coffee. Um, that's that's going to become more more visible, if you like, more tangible. And so it's even more important, again, that businesses get that right in, in how they look after their people. Um, I heard a funny story, but really it's not funny. And I won't name the organisation, but this has only happened in the last 24, 48 hours. Um, a particular um, senior member in, in this in this large company he sent out a email to all staff saying, um, I've got a great idea. We're going to introduce something called, it might have been something like the power hour or the golden hour. I think it was the power hour. And he suggested to all of his employees that, that they take an hour somewhere in the middle of the day where they step away from their work. They get themselves a nice drink. They perhaps play some music that they really like. They perhaps pick up the phone and ring someone that they really get energized by. They perhaps go out into the garden and they get some fresh air. And he, he, he thought this was a great new idea to introduce. So many people emailed him back and saying, don't you mean take a lunch break? And it really <laughs> backfired on him because he'd forgotten about the fact that everyone is entitled to do that every day anyway and should be doing that. And um, he's been ridiculed over it uh, because he didn't think it through. He was he was suggesting, you know, this great new idea that we take an hour out in the middle of the day to to refresh ourselves, to energize ourselves. And um, yeah. And I mean, often we're a bit of an echo again. Sorry. Uh, we're our own worst enemies because we're not disciplined. It's easy just to kind of work through lunch. And sometimes mm -hmm. it's a bit easier at the office when you're sitting around with colleagues and someone says, I'm going to go out and grab a sandwich. There's a bit of a prompt. But. If you're sitting at home working, you know, it's very easy to fall into an element of poor discipline and um, and just mm. work through lunch or work through your breaks and 
and kind of not take a break and, and rest. So again, it's 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 you know not only from a leadership perspective, people need to be cognizant of that, but even through our own levels of discipline. Well, one of my favourite stories from last year, Gunter, is um, children sometimes are incredibly observant, and uh, this is a true story. But in a in a school last year, um, a child goes up to a teacher and says, um, "Can I ask you a question? Why don't teachers have playtime?" And the teacher just smiled at the time, but fortunately later that day said to the head teacher, um, one of the kids said to me today that the, the teacher should get playtime too. And the head teacher didn't just smile. The head teacher said, that's a brilliant, brilliant idea. So a few weeks later in that school, they had a role reversal. And um, all the children were told, you've got to stay in the classroom. And all the teachers were told, you're going out in the playground and you're having playtime. Now, we know what kids are like. They look forward more to that playtime than their own normal playtime because they wanted to observe the teachers in the playground. Now, this story has a sad ending because um, what happened was um, all the all the kids got the best vantage point to look out to the playground and they wanted to see the teachers running around, chasing each other, having a laugh. But they all stood there very much like adults, some of them on their phones, dare I say, but not looking like they were particularly enjoying themselves. The reason I share this story um, is that we give kids playtime for a reason. It's not just um, put on the school curriculum because it's, we just do it. It's for a reason, perhaps four reasons. Number one, it's you re-energize the kids in between two different pieces of work. Secondly, you're giving them fresh air and, and sunshine. Thirdly, you're giving them social interaction. And fourthly, you're giving them physical e exercise. Well, when we become adults, we need playtime as much as kids do. If anything, we need it more. So I say to you, Gunter, I say to everyone listening to this podcast, are you getting enough playtime? You know, regular times during the day, do you have a laugh, a bit of fun with someone? Do you get to engage in social interaction other than work? Are you getting some fresh air? Are you re-energizing yourself? Because we all need playtime. Playtime's critical to get the best out of us. And that's how we get the best out of kids in school. And I think that that's a great point, especially if you, I think, using a bit of playtime or downtime to move between tasks, you know, and it could be moving from a, a task of doing fairly mundane stuff to a task of learning something new, you know, so just to kind of reboot your mind, I guess, almost between those two tasks and, and really get you energized for, for the next one. Uh, yeah. that, that, that's a really, really good learning. With, with remote working at the moment, uh, Gunter, again, it, um, the majority of people, um, understandably, have one, if they're lucky, one office or place they can work in their house. If you sit there all day without moving anywhere else, um, it's not going to re-energize yourself. So I actually suggest that even working from home, you move around the house during the day. Now, I've been stuck in this room for 15 days um, because I've had the coronavirus. But even I, during the day, I, I move between sitting at my desk here I've got a bed over here and I go and sit on the bed and I take my laptop with me and I get a coffee or something and I, I relax on the bed for a while and then I come back into my desk situation again. But I move between the two to re-energize myself. Now, fortunately, most of us aren't stuck in one room. But I would suggest that most people working from home, um, if you're moving, you know, if you can move around the house, if you can go and sit in the lounge and take your laptop with you to the sofa, or you can go out to the kitchen area and you've got a place you can sit there and then you've got an office as well. But you move between the three. Um, it's, it's change of perspective, right? Uh, yeah. 
you know, and thinking about that that small that small thing that you're doing, and you know, it's especially noticeable. I think, like you say, you've been stuck in the same room for 15 days. You know, take that skill of of of, of enforcing a change of perspective and apply that to other problem solving uh, issues. You know, think about the times perhaps when you are facing a very challenging situation. It could be your your job under threat, or you know, poor relationships at work, or whatever it is. And maybe just apply that different lens, try and change the perspective a little. I think that that's a really great um, great note that I've I've noted down here. Um, I'd like to draw us back to one of the things you said a bit earlier in the uh, in the interview. You talked about a number of coping mechanisms when you first. And I think the term you used was sort of outed yourself and some of the mental mm. health problems you spoke about. And you, you said you managed to get by by these, these coping mechanisms. And, you know, what, was, what sort of coping mechanisms did you, did you tend to use? When I, when I look back now, um, a lot of it was subconscious. But I used humour and I used creativity. It was hard work to really try and um, take focus when I was in meeting or training or even in one-to-one scenarios. And um, and as I say, just, just by by pure fluke, um, because I was doing it to hide poor mental health, it actually made me more engaging. So the best example I can use was um, I became a trainer in the late 1980s. And trust me, I know that was a long time ago. But in the late 1980s, training was incredibly boring. Someone would have a, um, an overhead projector and a pile of acetates. And they literally would lecture you and talk at you very one way was as long as that session was, was going to be. Now, when I got a job as a trainer, um, it was the worst job I could have with having panic attacks because I thought, how can I speak for an hour or two hours with me doing all the talking? So back in the late 1980s, I decided to make my sessions very interactive. I started putting people into breakout groups, doing it very much workshop style, many years before breakout groups came in. It led me to build a reputation as a really good trainer, someone who was out there doing something really different. And my career really took off. And um, but when I look back, I wasn't a trainer ahead of my time. I wasn't a really clever guy. I was just a guy desperately trying to hide my mental health. But it led me to be to discover a very engaging style that I then took with me throughout my career. So when I became when I went into people management, if it was the monthly management meeting. Back then, you'd often have managers who would, um, they'd do all the talking. There'd be a number of different agenda points, but the manager would basically be talking the whole time. Because I would be thinking, if I do that, I'll have a panic attack. I better use my team and get them doing a lot of the work. Um, obviously, what I was doing, I was taking people out of their comfort zone. Uh, and I was, um, without realizing it, developing them and making them better at their jobs and building their skills and their confidences. Again, I wasn't ahead of my time in terms of a leader. I was a guy desperately trying to avoid panic attacks, but it led me to have, you know, develop a very engaging style as a leader who seemed to be very focused on, on staff development when really it was all about me and hiding my mental health. Uh, and I think that's a great example of, of transferable skills. And, you know, you say you built up those skills when you were, when you were a trainer, you obviously took them uh, forward when you when you moved into management, and I think they they obviously served you well when you were um, in your commercial director role. 
how how then did you make the leap from from uh you know even even although you kind of built those skills was it a natural uh, a leap to then move into into counseling what what sort of what prompted mm. that decision and and how did you make that jump i'm really good you you brought that up Spencer, because um I've been very positive so far about the impact of my mental health on my career. Let's give you the other side of it. <clears throat> it was um, it, it held me back just as much. I got to a stage in my career whereby um, I was finding it more and more difficult to speak at conferences or to speak at certain senior meetings without becoming extremely anxious. So I started not applying for certain senior roles when they came along because one, I thought the interview process might induce a panic attack, or I, if I thought that job might involve lots of conference speaking and big talks and stuff, I thought I'd better not put myself in that situation. Um, and I remember the most embarrassing times in my career, I'd be invited to a meeting because they valued my view on a given subject. And I'd be so, I'd look around the room and there'd be some really important people there. And I'd be so worried about becoming breathless while speaking, I'd opt to hardly say nothing. So although my career really took off in some ways because of my mental health, I got to a point uh, in, for me, age is irrelevant, but it was um, in my um, early to mid 40s when I really should have gone on to that next really senior level where I, I stopped pushing myself forward. And in the end, I took myself into a very safe role and um, actually said to my employer, if the opportunity comes along and actually think about a great time here. I'd like to look to do something different. And uh, I ended up staying there for eight years, ring fencing my salary, not going anywhere, seeing loads of people that I think I had more talent than going way past me, earning really big salaries. But, and I wasn't conscious at the time, but that was me protecting my mental health. So eventually um, I, I was made redundant and I thought I've got to find something else to do. Now, I trained as a mental health counsellor a few years ago, so I, um, I thought perhaps I'll go into that space. But fortunately, because I ended up sharing my story and I found that I could do it without having a panic attack, it enabled me to create a business where I started doing talks about my mental health and um, working with organisations to create these kind of cultures. So I'm so glad you asked that because eventually I got out of corporate life because my mental health couldn't cope with it. Um, so, but it's been the best thing I've ever done. And I guess going through that that journey, then you'd kind of built up that career capital, if you want to call it that. You'd yeah. you'd you'd sort of honed those coping skills, which which translated to great sense of humour. You know, the ability to uh, perhaps present or have one to one conversations, the ability to tell your story and yeah. to kind of share where you were with people. Were there any skills gaps when you moved into this new world of of starting your own business, your your counselling business? Were there things you had to you still learn? Were there things you weren't able to do? Again, a, a great question because as I shared with you earlier, um, I never thought I could even do a podcast like this today. I would have turned you down because I would worry that I'd have a panic attack during it. And I obviously never thought in my life that I'd be able to stand up and talk at conferences which is why, in a way, my career started to plateau and then eventually start going, going backwards. I never thought I'd find the skill to be able to present in public. And when I first ever delivered one of these talks, naturally, someone in the audience said to me, David, um, how come you haven't had a panic attack today? And I said to them, the honest answer is I don't know. I thought I might do. 
But I said there's a phrase we associate with poor mental health that it's okay not to be okay. And perhaps I've embraced that. I knew it wasn't the answer. Um, I kept being asked to do these more and more. And um, I started to get um, more confident in doing them, although the panic attacks were never going away. And I still was being asked regularly, so how, do, how are you avoiding panic attacks? And I still didn't really know the answer. I started saying to people that um, you inspire people when you share vulnerability. Because I saw um, a brilliant young student one day, a graduate assessment day, her presentation, she started it off by saying, hi, my name's Abigail and I've got bipolar. And she, the whole place put their mobile phones down, the room went silent and everyone hung on Abigail's every single word. And I, I really realized that day that by sharing my story, I do inspire by sharing vulnerability. And that sounded quite a good answer to the question, how can we have a panic attack? But I still know it wasn't the answer. I only discovered the answer last year. Um, before every single one of these talks, I think to myself, I bet this is the one I become breathless. I bet this is the one I screw up. And I've realized what I do these days, I say to myself, well, screw up, have a panic attack, show you what it looks like to have one, talk you through what it feels like to be having one. By allowing myself to have one, I'm being kind to myself. I'm showing myself compassion. So I believe the reason that I've largely cured my panic attacks is the discovery of what they call self-compassion, which is that being kinder to yourself. So the skill that I didn't have to do this job when I crossed over, I wasn't being kind enough to myself. And I discovered kindness to myself. And too many people out there working really hard every day in, in, corporate, in the corporate world are being really too tough on themselves. And they'd actually become more effective and more successful if they learn to love themselves more, create more me time and be kinder to themselves. That's truly insightful because often we think about stuff that we learn as being the functional skills. I need to learn to use Excel in a better way or, or PowerPoint or whatever software we use, but we don't often think about, um, uh, and even when we do think about developing softer skills, it's normally those softer skills directed outwards in terms of, I guess some, um, uh, you know, emotional intelligence or, or or being able to have sensible conversations with people, but maybe not introspecting so much and saying, well, hang on a second, let me not be so hard on myself. Um, you know, let, let's let's think about self-compassion. Um, I, I think that's a that's that's some that's truly insightful. Um, so making this this transition again, and the, so you've talked about how you how how you've dealt with some of the challenges in this career transition. What would you say is the thing that surprised you most, having made um, this, this journey or ending up where you are today? What surprised me most is that um, in some ways it's such a, a simple mindset shift. Um, I, it took me till I was 54 years old to work this out, this thing about being kinder to myself. I put myself under so much pressure in my career to get everything perfect. And I just, I wish I did discovered it so much earlier. Um, this lady in America, Gunter, she does talks to hundreds of people and she suffers panic attacks. And very often um, she has to sit down and take a break while presenting. Um, she always starts up again and generally finishes off the talk. And when she completes a talk where she's had a panic attack, she often gets a standing ovation. When she completes a talk where she doesn't have a panic attack, she just gets normal applause. 
And she wrote recently, she almost feels under more pressure to have a panic attack um, to get more engagement from her audience. And um, I spent my entire 30 odd years um, doing everything possible to avoid a panic attack. And if I'd have had some, I might have got some standing ovations because people would have thought, wow, this guy's so brave. You know, he's got this issue going on and um, yet he still carries on. But I, I, I miss it was a missed opportunity. And um, this transition has been far easier um, than I thought it possibly could have been. And I had a reasonably good career. Don't get me wrong. Um, but I've achieved more in the last few years with what I'm doing now because I'm being me. Um, I and if I only I could have been more of myself and honest with myself throughout my career, I, I, I could have achieved so much more. Uh, if only we could go back and, and tell our 18 year old selves that that story yep. and that message and say, you know, it, it's going to be easier than you think, perhaps, or uh, or it's it's um, yeah, don't be so hard on yourself. And or, and maybe it isn't easier sometimes. Maybe it's just that you are you, you become more resilient through these these mm -hmm. coping mechanisms and these these skills that you develop. So, um, you know, I, th I think yeah, that's that's a, a great a great point you just made. Mm. Um, I realize we we sort of getting towards the uh, sort of our, the uh, time slot. The time's gone really quickly, so which for me means it's been a really uh, easy and enjoyable <laughs> conversation for me anyway. Thank you. Thank um, you. Gunter. I'll just end up with a a few uh, kind of simple questions. Uh, you know, if you could uh, recommend one simple habit or perhaps a book or anything that listeners could easily sort of pick up and 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 you know start with, what, is there anything that springs to mind? Um, I'm quickly going to grab a book and put it on the screen. Um, there's a fabulous book there um, called The Conscious Effect by Natasha Wallace. So um, the it's all the about The Conscious Effect written by Natasha Wallace. Um, this book could have been written for now. It was only written um, in the last couple of years, but it's all about compassionate leadership and uh, really recommend that as a really good read. Um, so, um, that's certainly a reading material. Um, but my biggest advice to people is about being being kind to yourself and to others around you. Um, because of this pandemic we're going through, I think we are going to see a shift to people generally being kinder to each other. And although there's so much sadness and, and, and some really tough times ahead in the next few months, this is a fantastic opportunity for people to, um, to relook at what is really important in life. And the most, the hardest thing to admit sometimes, the most important thing to Gunter is Gunter. You know, if you're on an aeroplane, Gunter, and you've got children with you and the oxygen masks come down, it's really important you put yours on first because you can't look after people around you if you don't look after yourself first. And we've all got to get better at putting ourselves first because then we become a better person and, and stronger for both family members and colleagues around us. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's we, we don't question that when we told that on an airplane, uh, you know, when we've been given the safety safety briefing, sorry, the safety briefing. But, yeah. you know, sometimes it doesn't spring to mind when you when you start talking about your your well-being, you know, whether it's your physical well-being or your mental well-being or the, the sort of skills you're looking to develop. So you know, that's that's absolutely a key point. And I think that's probably probably the um, a really good takeaway from from this chat. So. You know, it's been really awesome hearing from you. It's been, you know, the second time 
hearing hearing some of your insight and uh you know i really really enjoyed it and i hope the listeners will in, will enjoy it too um i guess before we close off where can people go to find out a little bit more about you uh you know your website or your linkedin page what would you suggest people do if they want to find out more about david beanie my website is www.breakingthesilence.co.uk i'm always happy for people to email me at david beanie um david beanie at breakingthesilence.co.uk and equally i'm extremely active on linkedin in the way you contacted me the other day gunter to arrange today if anyone wants to contact me on linkedin please do so um, I always get, you know, get back to everybody. Um, but thank you. Okay, that's brilliant. Super. And I'll I'll post all of the details you've just shared in the show notes as well. So people can go along and uh, and, and just follow those links. And um, yeah, I just want to finish off with a with a big thank you. And I really do hope you make the rest of your recovery really quickly, quickly. And, and you know, you manage to get out of that room, um, <laughs> probably not out to the shops and that sort of thing, but definitely into the next room uh, and, yeah, and, and some great. time as well. <laughs> Okay. Thank you so much, Gunter. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Likewise. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Well, what an amazing story. It really was fantastic listening to David describe his journey from a really bad place to a career that he really now is making a difference. Uh, it, uh, there were so many takeaways that I got from that. I've listened to the recording three times now, and every time I listen, I take away something new. So I just wanted to share some of those thoughts that I'd taken out. I guess you you would have taken away some of your thoughts as well. But just for me, the really key points were, uh, in no particular order, be yourself. I think this is a really important point. Uh, you know, it's it's no, there's no sense in in, in trying to be someone you're not. Uh, so be yourself. Be kinder to yourself and others. Uh, I think often we forget to be kind to ourselves, and in our day to day activities, we forget to be kind to others. I think the one positive thing about this COVID situation is that I'm seeing many, many people being more caring towards others. And, you know, you'd hope that it wouldn't take something like this to make us consciously think about caring and being kinder to others. So be kinder to yourself and be kinder to others. The other thing that he said was very interesting was the transition uh, in terms of, I guess, where he had gone to to his, his uh, his new role or his new career was not as difficult as you thought it might be, you know, so stepping back and thinking about when you're in a difficult place, regardless of that difficult place, whether it's related to work or any aspect of your personal life, making that transition is not going to be as difficult as you think. It really is about changing your your mindset. And the words David used uh, were a simple mindset shift. And then I think my final takeaway was really just thinking about those transferable skills, you know, almost the whole point of the thing we're talking about. So through the coping mechanisms that he dealt with, he managed to develop these transferable skills. At the time, it seemed like he was doing them without realizing it, but he was developing those skills. And those led him then to make that transition from a trainer uh, to then a commercial director, always with a focus on the people. And those, those were the words he used as well. And now ultimately, landing up in a role uh, where it's entirely people focused and those trans those transferable skills have really served him well so i think that was that was a really good takeaway for me so that's the end of episode three thank you so much for listening it's been a bit longer than the last few ones but i'm sure you'll agree it was worth it please subscribe to the show it's available on all your favorite platforms and uh, i hope to see you in the next episode coming up shortly Uh, we're looking at doing another interview in episode four so just keep your eyes peeled for that Um, 
In the meantime, if you want to learn more, feel free to visit my website. That's www.gunterrichter.com. And uh, yeah, see you in the next episode. In the meantime, uh, take care of yourself. <laughs>